You're listening to OEA Grow, a member-led production of the Oregon Education Association. OEA Grow is by members for members. In Season 3, educators discuss safe, welcoming, and inclusive schools. Your host for Season 3 is OEA member and school counselor, Leonie Bannister. Hello, everyone. I'm Leonie Bannister, your host for Season 3 of our OEA Grow podcast. In this season, we've been learning about safe, welcoming, and inclusive schools. Today, we are joined by Kelsey Madison. Kelsey, can you please introduce yourself? Hi. Thanks for introducing me a little bit. Um, My name is Kelsey. I am currently um, located in today what we call Portland, Oregon. Um, and I've been here for a couple years, but I wanted to share a little bit about my process getting here because I think that explains a little bit about who I am. Um, so I think that it's important to share that my passion um, for life thus far in my almost 30 years is working with youth in outdoor and nature places. I, I grew up on the shores of the Great Lakes and um really spent a lot of time being outside and connecting to that place. Um, And since then, I've gotten to go a lot of places in this world and connect with the different ecosystems there. Um, After I went to school in New Hampshire, I got a degree in environmental biology and decided at that point that I was really most interested in working with youth. And so I started to pursue fields in environment in the environment, but more directly related with youth, um, which was ended up being a lot of environmental education fields, um, or today what I'll go into in a little bit, place-based education. Um, so I worked at a summer camp in South Carolina, and then I worked for the equivalent of an outdoor school in Casper, Wyoming, um, and then another seasonal job in Saco, Maine. Um, from there, I went to the Philippines for a few years where I was in the Peace Corps um, pursuing more kind of place-based education. And then I came back to where I grew up um, and the shores of the Great Lakes and um, was working with an outdoor camp. And then I moved to Oregon where I was continuing to pursue outdoor education um, in the Opal Creek wilderness. And I was living there until the fires of 2020, which we are all probably a little bit too familiar with. Um, And that ended up burning down the place in which I lived. And so I moved to Portland um, and got a job working with MESD Outdoor School. Um, And all of this is to say that place-based education, um, from from my experiences, involves a lot of seasonal work. And so a lot of short stints doing different types of jobs, um, which is beautiful in a lot of ways and challenging in a lot of ways. But right now, um, I just completed a long-term subbing position in Portland Public Schools, and I'm going to be doing... um, leading a group of teens in the community gardens around Portland in the youth conservation course. So kind of a lot of different twists to um, place-based education. 
Yeah, I think that, um, thank you so much for sharing all of that. I think some of what you're sharing, it, well, what you're sharing makes me sort of think of how there is no consistent kind of programming for something mm. that seems, in my opinion, pretty significant and applicable within the educational you know, especially like K-12 system. I think of mm. students um, who navigate adversity or have navigated trauma, how how enjoyable it is for them to be in the outdoors and that therapeutic component of that and to not have um, any sort of like consistent, I, I don't know if I, maybe I'm speaking out of turn, but it does seem like there is not a lot of consistency in programming when it comes to that. I mean, could you speak to that a little bit? I think when I started in in the fields of environmental or outdoor education, um, I was kind of feeling the same way as you. Like, what is the path? Like, what is the um, common core, if you will, for outdoor education? Um, and I started to realize that there there are organizations that are trying to make that, but I yeah. think that maybe it comes down to funding and mm. the funding isn't there. Um, but a place that I have learned probably the most from is um, BEETLES. And BEETLES is an acronym okay. that stands for Better, I think I'm getting this right, Better Environmental Education, Teaching and Learning and Expertise Sharing. And it was a program that was developed um, in the UC um, Lawrence Hall, UC Berkeley, the Lawrence Hall at UC Berkeley, Um and they are trying to make it so that anyone who wants to do outdoor education throughout the United States and the world mm. can pull on these resources. And, and it, it provides lesson plans um, for different age groups, different ecosystems, different environments, along with how to teach people how to teach. Um, so that's kind of one of their biggest sort of, I would say, undertakings is being able to spread how to teach environmental education in a very, and I think something that they've done really well is that they've continued to update um, their curriculum. It, I've known about them for about five years. And in those five years, I've seen a lot of their major lesson plans go through overhauls based on becoming more equitable, um, thinking about these things that are happening in our society that are um, maybe traumatic or, or, activating towards students and making it so that it is a more level playing field for everyone in terms of getting outside and being able to connect to place. That's that's really interesting. So it sounds like that is a resource that even a classroom, not even, but a classroom teacher could go to in order to maybe inter, like weave in some outdoor or place-based place education into their curriculum without having, let's say, like you, an expert, come in and do the guest teaching. It's a way for them to kind of bring that to their learning space as opposed to having a specialist come in and do that. Absolutely. Yeah, oh, that's, that's exactly really cool. what they're trying to do. That's really neat. Okay, we'll link we'll link to that resource at the end of our um, in the narrative of our podcast here. That's really great. Thank you for sharing that. So as we continue with our conversation here, Kelsey, why don't you provide a a your your definition of what place based education is? So we we all have an understanding of that. Great. Yeah, I actually, as I was preparing for this, I was thinking about like, what is my definition for place-based education? Um, so I've been putting some thought into it. I think for me, 
um, and the internet will tell you there's a lot of different definitions for this, but it's a way to ground in the place that we are in. Mm-hmm. Um, and something that maybe takes it a little bit further is it's it helps the communities of the place we are in by asking those people to identify and solve concerns that are coming up, which I think is powerful in terms of like thinking about place-based education for a middle schooler, um, that they are actually the ones that are identifying and working to solve concerns within their community. Um, And this sort of grounding is not, it's not like place-based education is just in math. It kind of combines all the different subject areas um, and maybe sort of levels the playing field so that there isn't a lot of assumption based on background knowledge, but you are working to provide the information or have empower students to find it on their own, the local history, ecology, and culture of the place that they are in. Oh, that's really cool. Okay. You know, I appreciate you just putting that out there. So we all have an understanding of what you're actually meaning when you say that. So Thinking about your experience with place-based education and how that connects to um, a safe, welcoming, and inclusive learning space, whether that be in a brick-and-mortar school or or in a community garden or in in our community working on different tasks, um, what how do you see those two intersecting, or how do you see place-based education bringing value to that safe, welcoming, and inclusive learning space? Yeah. Um... Definitely. I think it definitely, there is a huge value. Um, And I think the core of it all is starts with just building trust and relationships. I know that that might sound like repetitive, like everyone's saying it, but I think that, um, so I said that I mentioned earlier that I had just um, been subbing in Portland public schools and I just ended a long-term subbing in a middle school science classroom And for me, I think it was tricky coming in and seeing like, okay, here are the lesson plans, get going on them. Um, When the kids, you know, like they had just, their regular classroom teacher had to leave um, for a family emergency. And I'm this, you know, random new person coming in. They didn't, they did not trust me, you know, no amount of candy and granola bars and juice boxes uh, changed that. It certainly helped. Bringing them food certainly helped. But I think just taking a step back and taking a few days just to get to know each other and build um, a community and like start, even though we were, I started in the last five weeks of their school year, I quickly realized that anything that I had to say or anything that I was trying to mentor these kids with, it wasn't going to mean anything unless they were able to trust me and understand who I was as a human. Um, So I think it all starts with building trust and um, really putting time into relationships and not rushing that. Mm. No, I totally agree with that, especially when you're placed in a position where students may, you know, be a little more slow to warm up given that there had been some kind of unexpected change in the dynamics of their learning space. So what did you do then to kind of infuse that learning space with what your passion is? Like, how did you turn a a science middle school science class into something that kind of honored where your true passion rests, if you were at all, you know, able to do that. Yeah. And we haven't talked about that. So I like that you asked that question because I think that was the biggest challenge for me was like, okay, I like 
kind of sold myself as like, I can do this job because I've been teaching um, outdoor school, which is sixth grade science for several years. And I, I feel like really passionate about it. Um, but then I was put in a classroom where there were 30 kids and just one of me. Um, <laughs> and it totally changed the dynamic. But I think that, yeah, I mean, really, I, I brought a lot of food. <laughs> um, and I think making sure that like all of their basic needs were met, I think I probably maybe stepped on some toes of administrators by not being super strict about like having them go to the bathroom during times that maybe they weren't supposed to, because I just felt, yeah, it was my place to try to like make sure their basic needs were met, make sure that they were able to get water and go to the bathroom and have food. And that's kind of where we started. Um, and then I took them outside almost every single day. Um, and I don't, I don't know if they were doing that before I got there, but even if it was just going outside to do a silly sort of get to know you game, um, or it was going outside, we were focusing on weather in the last five weeks. So we did oh, a lot cool. of just going outside and noticing the weather. Um, and here's another plug for beetles, um, a great resource for any, any age level, any teacher who wants to bring place-based education into their classroom is specifically the I Notice, I Wonder, It Reminds Me of lesson within the Beatles curriculum, which hones in exactly on place-based education. Um, so I gave them all a rock that I bought from a local rock store and walked them through this exercise of what do you notice about this rock? What does it mean to notice? What does it mean to use our senses? That's what cool. do you wonder about this rock? Do you wonder where it came from? Do, do you wonder, you know, how long it's been in this, um, in this form? And what does it remind you of? And then having them use their connections to other parts of their lives, like this rocks reminds me of a shark's tooth that I found on the beach. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but then using that, I notice, I wonder, it reminds me of, I think we probably used it pretty much every day after then, not to nice. do rocks, um, but just pulling from that to like, what do you notice about the weather today? How is it different from yesterday? Um, and just getting them to like really, yeah, start to notice their surroundings, which I think is is pr like a pretty grounding aspect of place-based education. Yeah. I mean that, that I notice, I wonder, it reminds me of it. Rem it actually reminds me of a, um, an activity we do sometimes in, um, like gaining self-awareness of our body, mm -hmm. like for self-regulation practice as a counselor, we do that quite exactly. a bit. So that's really awesome. I mean, and you're really centering yourself in the present moment when you're noticing an object or noticing the current weather, um, which can be very, very grounding, very centering for a student who may have some regulation issues that may help them feel a little bit safer, a little bit more like, you know, um, centered in where they are at that moment. So that's, that's really cool. Um, that's something I feel like every grade level could, could be using. Um, right. That's awesome. So, um, that's a great tip. That's a wonderful strategy for us. Do you have any other kind of quick and like more like pithy strategies you feel like a K-12, which is a very broad range, I realize, but maybe an elementary or middle school you could pick or secondary high school um, teacher could use to kind of infuse some place-based education into their classroom learning space? 
So I recognize that not every school or every classroom has the ability to get outside. But if you are able to get outside, I would say one of the first things that I do to like ground people in place is using that I notice I wonder it reminds me of, but also just to talk about senses and then just have them start feeling the things around them. I've done this in a black asphalt um, playground space where there is not any green, there's no grass, there's no trees, but still getting them to touch the ground, um, close their eyes and point the direction in which they think the sun is, um, to close their eyes and to see hear how many bird sounds they hear, or just if they're, it's hard to hear any nature sounds just to say, close your eyes and think about what is the closest sound you hear. What is mm. the furthest sound you hear? Um, where do you think the moon will rise tonight? Mm. Um, just having them kind of get go through the different senses. And then I usually end with like, we're not going to taste anything outside, but I did bring some sort of treat. <laughs> I'm very, I understand that children are very food motivated and I am also very food motivated. So <laughs> I always try to incorporate treats in some way. Um, but yeah, utilizing the senses and going through some sort of, sort of like a meditative um, right. kind of, yeah, moment to have them um, ground in place um, is something that I would recommend. That's really cool. I feel like that could definitely be dif be differentiated K-12, preschool through 12, really, um, you know, could create a little bit more of a complex prompt for our, you know, secondary learners, but definitely it seems accessible to all of our students. Um, thank you for that. That's, that's a great tip. I feel like many people could use that. Is there anything else today, Kelsey, that you'd want to share with us before we say goodbye? Hmm. I think just that within the place-based education fields that, um, yeah, I think the point of this podcast is, or for me anyway, is to, to make people know that even within a brick and mortar building, there are ways to make your space place-based. Um, and I think that that starts with ourselves and like mm -hmm. figuring out what the history of the place we are in and without launching into anything deeper than that, but just educating ourselves around like what is the history? What is the culture? What is the local ecology? Um, I think that definitely will help you in mentoring whatever youth you are mentoring. Um, that would be my last little bit. That's awesome. That, that actually makes perfect sense and, and is a, an adult-oriented responsibility, like center yourself in the place you're teaching or serving students or people to better serve their place-based education, right? Because then you're exactly you have a better foundation. Makes me think about the you know what I could be doing as a counselor at my school in order to promote that also um, for my own work. So I appreciate that. That's a great tip. Thank you so much, Kelsey, for being with us today. I appreciate your time. I know you're busy, and we just appreciate you for promoting place-based education and helping youth in our community. So thank you. Thank you as well. For more OEA professional learning opportunities, visit our webpage at grow.oregoned.org.